everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Deutsche Grammophon International Podcast Series. I'm Sarah Willis, a French horn player and passionate podcaster, and it's always a delight to podcast with the Yellow Label's star-studded cast of musicians. My guest today shot to stardom in 2021 when he won the Chopin International Piano Competition. His life literally changed overnight. Not easy for a 24-year-old, but very exciting. Deutsche Grammophon signed him right away and his first studio album, Waves, has just been released. With all his success, will he still have time for his beloved hobbies, which include karting, swimming, chess and much more? I'm looking to find out so much more about him on today's podcast. Bruce, welcome to the Deutsche Grammophon International Podcast Series. It's great to see you. Hello. Hope you're not having a huge jet lag. Huge trip. jet lag, yes. Bruce knows that I've had to get up very early this morning and I'm on another time zone. So it's totally worth getting up for you this morning, Bruce. I just wish we could be in the same room. We, we missed each other in Berlin by a couple of days because I've just returned. But uh, the wonders of modern technology. And uh, here we are. And where exactly are you right now? I'm in Helsinki, just uh, had two concerts uh, with the radio orchestra here. And uh, yeah, already on the road for the Zurich today. So we uh, managed to catch each other in the right time. <laughs> Do you wake up sometimes and think, where am I? What country is it today? You know, like like uh, Britney Spears apparently uh, once uh, said, hello, Munich, but she was in somewhere completely different. Do you sometimes get that feeling? Uh, now it's better. Uh, I remember right after the competition was uh, a little bit like that because it was totally not prepared for, for the process. So I remember that was uh, crazy because I didn't have uh, management at the time as well. After the competitions, I was dealing all the logistics myself. So uh, it was quite crazy. Yeah. And then I really woke up, uh, I think, at the wrong city, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> that really was a crazy time. I mean, a, a young 24-year-old, I remember you saying that one of your first thoughts was, oh, I don't have to do any competitions anymore once you'd won. But you had no idea really what you were going into because they throw you right in the deep end, don't they? Yeah, because for me, it was even a bigger contrast since before the competition, I was, you know, unlike some other of my colleagues, they already have some kind of small career playing concerts. I was really uh, still studying, you know, in my... Uh, so it was like a huge contrast, I think. And even... During the COVID, you know, I was not complaining because uh, I was not playing concerts anyways. I was happy to be home studying, you know, and preparing the, the competition, everything. And then after the competition, it was like the, it was like the, the blast, you know, because also it was the end of COVID uh, in some, in most of the areas. So it was back to the quite uh, the full audience and the, the full experience as before. So And now life is crazy, right? Well, now it's it's probably crazier, but I would say that I I'm more used to it in a sense, and it's good to know your planning at least few a few years ahead, you know. And instead of uh, such a, I remember after the competition, basically we were in this taken to this uh, after the conference uh, to this uh, small room, private room, and then the organizers starting just printing you pages, and yeah, oh, you have this five months of concerts, you know, and then because I remember I had to not even go home after the competition, after such an exhausting experience, you know, I have to keep touring and uh, going to some countries that it was just totally not planned, you know, it was like Asia and the trip was like Asia to uh, Canada and to Europe. And it was like, uh, you know, huge uh, time lapse. Uh, so it was, 
Yeah, it was probably just the preparation. I would say. And you had to play the Chopin in every every concert. That was the that was the idea, wasn't it? Yeah, well, at least for the I think the first year. I think at least. Uh, That's a lot a, of Chopin. A few, <laughs> a, few a few times, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then Deutsche Grammophon signed you. They signed you on World Piano Day, didn't they? That's quite a historical day to sign a contract. I think with Deutsche Grammophon. Yeah, and uh, it was very fun because I also did something interesting with the with their Instagram. I took over their Instagram and I became uh, CEO of DG for a day. And uh, it was even funny that some of the colleagues started sending, "Oh, we have a new CEO today." And <laughs> <laughs> I hope they paid you uh, appropriately. Anyway, we don't talk about money on the air. <laughs> that was a big job. I remember seeing that, and and I'd heard of you because of the competition. I was like, "What? He's taking over Deutsche Grammophone already?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's out. It has always been a little bit of crossover things. As you know, because the in a sense that it was never something that I expected. In a, in a sense, even when I you know doing music uh, since a young age, but I had so many interests uh, also, and I was never thinking if I really had to do this in the future. So I was like, why not just. Uh, have some fun. <laughs> and I'm going to ask you a difficult question because this is really hard for uh, someone to answer about themselves. But why do you think they chose you? You mean DG yeah. or the competition? Yeah, no, no, the, com <laughs> the competition. I heard that final. It was absolutely clear that they were going to choose you, I thought. No, DG, because, you know, these days there are a lot of very good musicians out there. I know there's so many good horn players, there's amazing pianists out there. But obviously mm -hmm. for a recording contract, people are looking not just for not just for an amazing musician these days. So mm -hmm. what, what, do you think, what do you think it was? Or did they tell you why they wanted to sign you? That's a really mean question because to say something good about yeah. yourself is tough. I know, I think sorry. It's, I think it's good to know, actually. Um, well, first of all, there's a sort of deal between the, the competition and the, uh, and the DG. So uh, normally if there's no, you know, uh, super weird or crazy uh, reasons but they usually the the first prize just it's like a part of the package you know the prize but yeah i mean it's uh, it doesn't hurt to add extra charm <laughs> it's uh, I, I don't know it, i guess it's uh, probably because of the some discussion we had about the the repertoire i guess um because i i really wanted to record like this rameau and ravel and it's uh there's a lot of pieces is uh, kind of um, I'm, I have approached that I want to record some unpopular but you know approachable but not super recorded pieces and I think this is always you know a good idea to add it in the catalog or to have a different approach or I don't know um, or maybe it's the image I give on social media I don't know it's uh, <laughs> good to know actually you're good at social media <laughs> I I like now we're Instagram buddies so uh, I we sh I should have been a lot earlier I was in I was really enjoying your your stuff you have a good a good feeling for it. do you do it yourself or do you have help with it I have help for different platforms but uh, Instagram I'm doing myself it's quite easy you know it's a very visual platform so 
Yeah, I like Instagram. So, well, actually starting now with your new album, because this is the reason we're, we're sitting here today, uh, Berlin to Helsinki. Congratulations, first of all. I am literally holding your album in my hands, the, 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 the vinyl version, a very cool cover, I must say. I thought there was something smeared on it, but it's actually a wave. Um, called, it's not a mistake. It's not a mistake. <laughs> Printing I thought, mistake. <laughs> I thought maybe somebody had dropped their coffee on there or something. <laughs> But it's it's very cool. How much say do you have in in such a cool uh, album cover? Were you presented with them, or did you have the idea to put a wave on the cover? No, I think it was the because there during the photo shoot we also had an art director, and uh, of course we had a concept, you know, and we thought about even the, you know, what color to wear, and we tried so many things, and of course this at the end came out from it's always like the, it's like music because you try so many things and you have to take a version at the end to present, and it's it's always hard to choose, but it is what it is, and it stays there forever, so no regrets. Uh, allowed. Uh, <laughs> so at the end, uh, it was, um, yeah, we, we even the waves, we tried many, many ways at the beginning. I remember it was covering the face a little bit and I said, oh, sometimes I look, I feel like I look like a zombie, you know, on the, on the like a walking zombie on the picture. And of course, we switched many things. And uh, yeah, I'm very happy with the final product. Yeah, it's beautiful. And the photo shoot looked like it was quite a lot of fun. You were in like all different colors. As you said, there's a great red photo in there as well. And uh, trying on all this stuff. And I mean, it's really like you feel like a Hollywood star for a day. Putting, well, at least we girls do. I don't know if it's like that for you guys. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it was uh, it was a long day, I remember. And uh, because we have to had, they had to keep putting makeup on me after every you know, few time because it's uh, sometimes it gets sweaty or something. And uh, they're in the process. Welcome and to our life. changing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was nice to to have a different role that day. I think that's probably one of the fun things is that you know if people ask me actually that uh, what would be would my dream is to actually try different jobs every week, you know, because uh, I think that would be the the most uh, fun thing to do because then after a certain time you get tired of what you're doing. So if you keep it fresh as always a week time, I think it will be very enjoyable, just like the photo shoot. <laughs> Can you imagine getting tired of playing the piano? I mean, sometimes I do, not going to lie, because... Um, but I always get back with freshness because I have you know many other hobbies. But at the same time, music, I think it's also one of the... I mean, art in general is uh, it's like there's so many varieties that you can, you can try. And uh, somehow it's always sitting there, but... At the end, it's uh, it's like going through stories of you know people's life, different stories of people's life. So I get I tired uh, of practicing. I don't. I don't get tired of playing. And that's why I was actually going to be a pianist. I was going to play all these big concertos and I love to play the piano. And I studied in, in Moscow and I had an amazing teacher and I could do all the hard stuff. But once I discovered the horn, I realized, one, you don't have to practice as long. <laughs> you can't because your <laughs> lips hurt. And two, I like to play with other people. And, and playing the piano was suddenly a bit too lonely for me. So I, 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 went, a, I went a different way. Otherwise, who knows, maybe I would have been playing against you at the shop competition no I very much doubt that but oh um, I mean there's still competitions without age limit <laughs> oh well we'll see <laughs> no but with that with practice limit I'm sure no no practicing the piano was just you know I know it, it's sort of like a ritual this piano practice isn't it it's it's just like you do literally the same things every day for the for the technique 
Uh, it's hard to describe. I'm sure. Ah, uh-huh. you're you're gonna ad- you're gonna admit now that you don't practice so much, right? Well, I have to be honest that after the competition, I haven't been practicing much because of the concerts. You know, <laughs> it's uh, it's not because I don't want to, but actually, it is a. Uh, I mean, it is something good to do that you need to practice. You need to keep learning your repertoire and to actually to finding new things in the piece. But I'm just kind of uh, just <laughs> keeping everything spontaneous because otherwise it really becomes a routine when you have to play, example, the concerto for 40 times a season, you know, and uh, it really becomes too much in a sense. Yeah. Yeah, and also you don't travel with a piano. That's what I've always, you know, backstage before a concert, we have our instruments and we warm them up and we empty all the water out of them, you know. But I've always wondered how the pianists feel backstage before a concert because you literally can't really, you have a little piano in your dressing room maybe, but those moments before going on stage, not having your instrument in your hand, you know. Well, I'm happy in a sense because uh, usually I like when it's a very crappy and bad piano. Uh, when I practice, I mean, it's backstage or rehearsals, and then uh, a rehearsal was the same instrument. But I mean, um, during the competition, even they proposed me, you know, a lot of uh, you know practice possibilities. I just wanted to keep the practicing on the clavinova in in a hotel room. Just you know, electric keyboard is enough. And then I just suddenly feel so inspired on stage because then you have like a crazy good instrument and uh, so many range in colors, you know, and then. Uh, of course, the hall the acoustics. So then it makes you feel just very good. <laughs> <laughs> I think it will be hard for me to actually practice on a similar uh, good instrument as the stage one, because then I think I cannot do anything more on stage. You know, it's like there's no Interesting. more. Interesting. I never thought of it like that. Yeah. I always felt sorry for you guys. Now I won't anymore. Because <laughs> if I have if I have already been practicing like so well. Then I think, how can I do better on stage? It's like what Gilel said is that uh, if you, before the you go on stage, if you start to feel very good at practicing, you should stop. <laughs> well, you're speaking to someone that plays a very dangerous instrument. So even if we practice, there's no guarantee that what will come out is what we've practiced beforehand. And what about in the recording of your album? Because you have you have three really completely different. Com- well, not they're similar, but they're different. I read about you know that we we've got Rameau, we have Ravel, and also thank you for introducing me to Alcan. I'd actually never heard of this composer, this French composer, Charles Valentin Alcan, and morbidly, all three of them died in Paris. That was what they sort of had had together. But they're three completely different sounds. And I was wondering, when you recorded it at the Teldex in, in Berlin, did you have three different pianos or did you have the same piano and just change technique? Or How does that work for a pianist? Because, I mean, to play to play Rameau, you're almost like playing that. Well, I guess you would have been playing the harpsichord, but then Ravel, it's huge. How did you how did you work that one out? Yeah, basically, we're talking about 200 years of music, you know, and uh, and that was, that's exactly the point. I actually had three pianos in the recording, but at the end, I used the same piano for all the recordings. But the funny thing is that we, at, at the end, uh, you know, this is the game of recording, and it's also the fun for me to discover it for the first time because it was officially my first studio recording. And um, we have we played so many games, you know, on the sound by, you know, changing the 
mics and doing the different setup, the post-production, as we say. And uh, I think that was very fun. So at the end, we found kind of three different, I proposed three different sounds for each composer. And uh, I think it's totally worth it because they are so different, as you said. Uh, the Rameau requires a very elegant and very, you know, kind of closer to the mic, in a sense, to have the very clarity. And the Ravel, of course, more boomy for the for the impressionist feeling. And Alcan, we just need a very huge contrast, you know, of the... At the end, it's super virtuosic music. And uh, somehow at the same period as Chopin and Liszt, but we somehow forget how the influence came. <laughs> Tell us about him, because I'm sure our, our listeners um, will be as surprised as I am. Or maybe maybe the pianists know him, but I, I certainly didn't. And uh, I was listening... Always when I'm researching for, for a podcast, I don't read anything about it. I listen to the album first. And so I had it, you know, on play and I... I was listening and I was, you know, I wasn't sitting, I was doing stuff, you know, how we listen to music, you know, listening. And and then all of a sudden the Rameau ended and then the Alcon came and I was like, hang on, wait a minute, is it the Ravel already? Oh, no, it's not. No, it's something <laughs> different. It's like completely in the middle of the two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's also the fun thing about how to place the, the, the order of the pieces in the recording, which it's totally different from a concert. And uh, I mean, Alcan is, I discovered him actually also quite randomly. I think it was around my teenage years, just listening to some random uh, playlist and then, you know, also like that discovered it. And it's, I remember it was like, I was so impressed by how technical challenge it was, you know, it's Basically, like exactly like list. I don't. I don't know what everybody just talk about list. You know, when we say about virtuosic music, and then I started searching, and I found that oh, he had written also twenty four etudes. You know, twelve in the minor keys, twelve in the major keys, and I started realize that you know one of his etudes is actually like fifteen minutes, and uh, <laughs> this is not what you have as a usual etude. You know, yeah, and uh, I was fascinated by this piece, which. Of course, I recorded. It's uh, the fifth stand is up, and it's uh, 25 variations. So it's a huge thing. And uh, um, of course, uh, if you hear a little bit uh, more of, of his music, it becomes a little bit tiring because it's uh, in a way similar. So it's have to be choosing very carefully, I think, um, to program. I mean, it's uh, basically it's full of just all the basic stuff we usually practice, you know, warm, our warm-up, like scales, arpeggios, arpeggios, octaves, and uh, all the technique, but in a hard way and combined together. So it actually requires some good musical knowledge, you know, or some good kind of, uh, to be able to shape all these together. Otherwise, it really sounds like a Hanon or a Cherny Etudes in, in a I sense. Found, yeah. I found at the beginning it was quite etude but by the time you get to the end, the last three or four and they were quite short uh, variations for me I I heard I started hearing like I could imagine you playing it to an old movie you know it's like there's a little bit of Tom and Jerry in there I heard the Pink Panther I'm and maybe that sounds completely superficial but I literally some of them like you know that really fast one um just before the end was it number 12 I I, I can't remember the number but there's an incredibly fast and light one then you go to boom boom you've almost got the Pink Panther in there I don't know I I I could I could have imagined it uh, being played to some old as a soundtrack to some old movie <laughs> That really makes sense Yeah yeah. yeah, as the end, at the end, the title is uh, "Fist and Dissolve." Is like in English would be Isop's Feast." It's like a, it's like a kind of legend, you know. In a, it's like a you know for Isop to arrange a feast, basically con- con- containing a variety of food. So uh, at the end, uh, all the guests were served with 
Kong apparently. So it's it's like a it's like a medieval thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you know, and it's the first time. Well, you know, but I I don't know if the listeners will know. It's the first time that Alkan is been now in the in the Deutsche Grammophon uh, playlist, or I don't think they've ever had a piece by Alkan in there on their books before. Is that is that true? Do you know? I th- Probably, yeah. I mean, it was very easy when I proposed the project because most of some pieces are just never recorded. So it was, uh, is uh, I was happy that uh, uh, pretty much recorded all I wanted. Fantastic! I love that. And Rameau is one of my favorite composers. I think Rameau was a total rock star. The the things he dared to do in his music, especially in the little orchestral things that that, that he's done. Um, but uh, I don't know. Did you did you practice it on a harpsichord before? How do you get? As we we sometimes practice on natural horns to get the feeling of how it mm-hmm. would have been in the day. A little bit, but it, at the end, it's quite different. Of course, I get influence, you know, of listening to Landowska or these people, and uh, it's good to to know a little bit because of the fact they don't have any dynamic difference on the harpsichord, and then you realize how difficult it is to actually make the polyphony or the harmony works, you know, because if it's all the same, it's hard to hear different voices at the same time. So it's good to learn the technique, you know, sometimes not play together on purpose to make some voice more clear and stuff like that. But, and I remember Zimmerman told me this, that actually for the pianist, harpsichord is not the best instrument, you know, because it actually gives you bad habits on the on the fingers. And somehow the, the organ is even better because you really feel the length of the the projection of the notes, which is, of course, the weakness of uh, the, the, this percussive instrument that we, once to play the note, it stays there and we cannot do it vibrato, like, you know, strings and stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, Rameau, it's, it's like something that I've always wanted to record because it's, when we talk about Baroque, we, people just tend to have played Bach or, you know, or Scarlatti, and they really forget the French Baroque people. And also, along with Couperin, you know, it's also, I think these people actually created the sort of pianist technique, you know, at their, at their period. Rameau is like considered like the, the grandpa of, of harmony in a sense. And Couperin wrote all this L'art de toucher le clavecin, basically writing all the fingerings and, uh, you know, that's like the basic of the piano playing. And it's super virtuosic music also, I think, uh, for their area, you know. Yeah, totally, totally. It, I, I adore Rameau. I find it also quite meditative, you know. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a good breakfast music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like it. And Ravel, this, uh, this is one of my favorite piano pieces of all time. It's huge, five, five movements. And, of course, uh, La Barque, this is the one that you played in a lot of competitions, you said. I was wondering, for a young pianist, how, how easy is Ravel to understand? Because for me, the timing of these pieces, of the, the impressionistic, the, the French music, it's like so mature somehow. And you, you do it absolutely beautifully, but it's, it, it has to be a very individual thing, I find. Just the timing of it and placement of chords and balance of chords and was Ravel so- always something that you you felt that you could do or how does a young pianist learn Ravel do you know what I mean that wasn't very well explained but uh, it's okay no yeah one's, we're, we're, we're think... just between us <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think it's uh it is it is hard but it's easy at the same time in a sense because of course, I, I visited his home, you know, when I was uh, 17 in near near Paris. Uh, but I think Ravel is one of the very few composers for me that everything is written on the score and every symbol uh, is perfect. There's nothing more to add and nothing less to take out. 
he was a perfectionist. Uh, probably we have only 10% of his whole comp- all compositions because he burned them all. So, I mean, every single piece he actually published or wrote is sort of perfect, in my opinion, you know. And even the marks, you know, unlike some other composers like Rachmaninoff, he's changing all, all the time his mind. Chopin is also improvising, you know. But Ravel is very strict with all his uh, his writing. So I think if you actually read the score very carefully and understand the meaning of each thing, it's actually, you already have, let's say, 80% or 90% of the, of the performance. And of course, there's always the personal side. Um, that will be possible probably impossible to explain because it's a very <laughs> insightful and human thing you know and it's probably these emotions change all the all the any day as well but yeah i mean this uh, mentioned uh, i think also because in this particular piece uh each of the five parts are very different for example the Bach you said is a more impressionistic one but the alborada is much more spanish because of his basque influence so there's this also this multi let's say multicultural side of it, and uh, I always like to connect it with myself. As I was kind of uh, when people ask my identity, it's always hard to answer because I was I was born in Paris and I grew up in Canada and I'm from China, so it's like a or also like a sort of uh, <laughs> a mixed. You're a global citizen. <laughs> especially yeah, especially even now. More now yeah exactly yeah. especially now and um you know we've just been in a film together you and I we made a film about the Rheingau music festival because both of us were were taking part of it this summer and you played Rachmaninoff there huge Rachmaninoff so that that's like the total opposite contrast to to what you've just recorded on your first album so I'm very excited to hear what what you're going to come up with next because uh, you have like another I don't know at least another 60 years of recording for the Deutsche Grammophone, so that's a lot of music to get through. <laughs> yeah, surprise. <laughs> and, and in the in the film, we actually got you swimming and uh, and talking about your hobbies. Now, this is something I think every interviewer is going to pick up on because these days, <laughs> as you know, it's not enough just to talk about music. Everybody wants a part of you, and and you you do share it on your Instagram. You share it in your in your interviews about uh, you know that you need time for your hobbies. It's very important that you have hobbies. I think it's great to have hobbies because a lot of musicians don't. They just play. To see you talking about your swimming and also what is this karting thing? Can you explain karting <laughs> to me? Because this is one of your passions. And I love to yeah. talk about music, but I love to find out about different things as well. Can you explain karting? And can we go karting next time you're in Berlin? Oh, definitely. Actually, I have never been in Berlin yet. I have always not but not very convinced by the quality of the track on the pictures, but it will be interesting to discover for sure. So basically it, it can be something for everybody, you know, as we just go kart on, you know, it's everywhere. And, uh, but at the same time, if you're being competitive, Which it's of actually, course you are. <laughs> it's always, it's also a go through. I mean, the, the process of going through of a, of a beginner to become a professional driver, which is the, the highest one would be the Formula One. But of, the, of course, the karting also have very much different levels. You know, you have the starting with the one we have on all tracks, but then you have different cards on outdoor tracks and it becomes faster and faster. Basically, it's, uh, it's just a process of uh, finding your own limit because at the end, you think you're racing with others. But at the time, we are all competing the lap times. So it's at the end, it's competing with yourself. 
So I find this thing very similar to piano, you know. Of course, competition is done for now, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, thanks God, there's no more need to do competitions. So probably that's the the thing we just do is competition in something else. <laughs> but what exactly is it that I mean? Okay, it's similar to piano playing, but why karting? I mean, and and isn't there an insurance issue in all this? I mean, maybe we shouldn't even be talking about this on a Deutsche Grammophon <laughs> podcast. Dangerous. Is it not that dangerous? Your hands, your hands. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I have always thought, uh, you know, one of my idols, like Michelangeli, he was a sort of professional racer as well, even even crazier, but in the endurance one in Italy in the past. So that was even more serious. But I think it's just, um, I don't find any relationship, honestly. It's probably just the, uh, the concentration when I get from it or, or the feeling that you're just, the moment you get in the car, it's like yourself, you know, and uh, just focusing on something, uh, one line. How did you find and, uh, a hobby like that? I mean, that's quite unusual. <laughs> that's hard to remember. I think, I think it's just basic things with friends at the beginning. And then, uh, of course, you want to win. You want to beat the time of the the track you want to you know and it becomes competitive at the beginning was that was the thing that drives me and then of course you started doing all the research you know you did how to do the race lines you know how to train your even the neck the shoulders sometimes because it's a lot of g-force and uh, also uh, we, we we're like oh we have to get uh, lighter because even the weight uh, matters you know at, uh, at the end for this oh, okay so maybe that's so not the lighter a good the hobby better for me <laughs> <laughs> We horn players need our weight, you know, because uh, if you have a, they say if you have a full stomach, you have a full sound. Oh, I mean, that's totally fine. I mean, we can, uh, when you're, it's a very fair competition, we have to have the same weight. So if uh, someone is lighter, he has to add rocks in his car or uh, weight in his car. So at the end, everybody has the same weight. It's fine. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Well, that's not the only one, though. You've got swimming, you've got jazz, you've got chess. I mean, it sounds a little cliched. Yes, you, you know, the, oh, my hobbies are. But it's really great to have hobbies because if not, um, you know, you'd play the piano all day or travel or sit in an airplane. Yeah. I mean, airport is the biggest hobby now. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> well, it's uh, well, just the amount of time, I, I guess, uh, because when people ask us if it's uh, very nice to travel around the world, I say, of course. But, you know, for concerts at the end, most of the time it's only three places. It's the concert halls, the hotel and the airport. And if you get a free day, it's it's a, it's a really it's not given like that, you know, so. No. What do you play chess at airports with yourself? Chess, I I would say it's 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 a more before the competition thing. I think after that, I haven't touched much. Ah, it was um, yeah, but I tried to swim uh, as much as I can. And, so you uh, only stay in hotels. That's in your contract. Only stay in hotels with with swimming pools. Well, not always, but it's uh, it would be nice to to add this feature in the, in the future. <laughs> Come on, Bruce, you're a star now. You can insist. You can insist on having rooftop pools or or infinity pools or whatever in every every hotel it's you not stay in. Hard, yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> it is it is tough these days. Just to finish up with, I just wanted to ask you about this feeling of of these days not just being able to just be a musician, but to be on show all the time, to have your the best social media, to have you know wear the right clothes, to be the you know a, a superstar in the classical music world is something different than it was maybe even twenty years ago. Especially new signings to record labels and things. Do you feel that pressure that you have to share parts of yourself with the public or or what do you think is going to be your thing because there's a lot of great piano players out there as you know as you know as I yeah. uh, but but there there are only the few ones that that really have that something really special and obviously Deutsche Grammophone believes in you and you play amazing what are your thoughts on on this whole new sort of superstar fame dumb thing well, I think it's it's good, but at the same time, it's very dangerous in a sense, um, especially, I think, for the younger ones. I'm very grateful that I didn't win the competition. Oh, yeah, you're so old. You're so old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I feel very lucky that I didn't win at 18 uh, or 17, like a lot of kids do. And, um, you know, I will totally be not ready for it, you know, in a sense, not only for the expectation from people, but also for my insight, because I'm still growing, you know. And I think it's very important to keep basically the same nature as you do before after the competition you know because at the end we are the same person and that influenced the way you actually produce the music because it has to be always authentic uh, honest you know sincere i think is the most important things despite of course uh my nature is that i have so many hobbies i like to share things um it's part of my you know my my vision also my i like to share things with people and also my uh, different sides, you know, different things. I think I think this is the way I grew up, and I think it's uh, at the end you have to remain natural to yourself. It's not that I think there's no pressure for me or for other people that you have to, you know, in a sense to do it. I think you should find your own way. I think at the end, that's all. Yeah, I agree. I was just on the jury for the competition in Prague and a 13-year-old pianist won with Grieg and he was absolutely incredible. But, I, you know, you do think what's going to happen to this kid. It's amazing how they, a 13-year-old playing this piece incredibly. But, you know, the concerts come in and you spend a lot of time on the road alone. So I hope he has some good hobbies like you to, to, yeah. to keep him going. I think that's very important. And also support from family and friends because... Uh, you know, you probably couldn't have done it without that as well. Of course, yeah. And just basically finding the, the healthy way how it can last long, yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. <laughs> Bruce, thank you so much. I know you have to go off and catch a plane to Zurich and continue your busy life. Did you manage a swim already today or can you manage one before you go to the airport? I went yesterday. Now it's time for lunch. Ah, yeah, of course, you're an hour ahead. Okay, you go and have lunch. Congratulations on the album. I mean, it really is. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Music is beautifully presented. Look at that sultry, beautiful photo of you on the back cover here. I'm looking at the, the cover right Right now, that's a lot of uh, of hair time there. You know, they really went to town on your on your styling. You look amazing. <laughs> um, Thank you. But congratulations! It's uh, it, you play absolutely beautifully, and and the Ravel just took my breath away. So, thank you, and thank you for introducing us to Alcan as well. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Look forward to to see you in person. I will soon, see you hopefully. in Berlin. I hope very soon, and we'll talk about that karting thing. Okay. 
Yes, keep in mind <laughs> next time. Bruce, thank you so much for being part of the podcast today and, uh, and take care and stay very safe on your travels and we'll see you soon. Thank you. If you've enjoyed today's podcast with Bruce and you'd like to hear more such podcasts, past, present or future, do subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts from. I'm Sarah Willis. It's been a total pleasure to be with you today. I'll see you next time.